Welcome to Rubber Bands, an Avenues Recovery Podcast. Conversations about the push and pull of addiction and recovery. And now, here's your host, Shlomo Hoffman. Hey again, everybody. This is Shlomo Hoffman with Rubber Bands Podcast. Conversations about the push and pull of addiction, where we explore various initiatives and real-life stories about people struggling with addiction, people battling addiction, and people finding ways to fight addiction. Recently, Avenues Recovery Centers has began an initiative of outreach to local colleges in areas where we service to hear what they're struggling with, uh, to hear how we can help, how we can collaborate. A lot of colleges are doing a lot of amazing things um, in terms of, of, of getting kids to understand the dangers of the opioid epidemic and other substances and giving education to faculty about how to properly guide and help students navigate through uh, you know these younger years where they're struggling with various different new experiences uh, and the like. Today we bring in Jacob Goldberg from Tulane University, the recovery community manager at Tulane University, who will share with us his story, uh, his own personal story of recovery, how he got to you know being in the mental addiction field, and uh, the realities of the experience of the college student today in the United States with regards to addiction. Jacob, how have you been? I'm well, Shlomo. Thank you for having me here, man. It, it's a, an honor to be a guest on on the podcast. Uh, I am a follower, so um, uh, hopeful hopeful that your audience will um, um, appreciate some of the content that I'm I'm sharing today. So um, again, real grateful to be here. I can uh, introduce myself a little more, and I appreciate that introduction. So again, yeah, my name is Jacob Goldberg. Um, I'm down in New Orleans, Louisiana. And I, I work for Tulane University as their uh, recovery community manager. And it's a, a relatively new initiative on campus. Um, but uh, my focus, I have a, a various different roles. My focus really is to, to help uh, support students in recovery, um, to do some advocacy work, uh, to do some educational work, um, and um, so, that, so that students can, be, can, can have a... a uh, a very supportive college experience and still uh, be able to practice their their recovery skills. So um, real, like, like I said, happy to be here. Um, I can dive in a little bit of some of my background and what got me here, if, if that's where we want to start. Yeah. So let's start there. It's always a good place to start. It's from the beginning, right? Yeah. I can, I can, I can get all tangential and be all over the place. So we'll try to, I'll try to give you the cliff notes of, of who I, I'll try to keep you coloring within the lines. You don't worry. About I, pre- that. I appreciate it, man. So you're born and bred. Are you born and bred in, in New Orleans? Are you a Louisiana yeah, so native? I, I am from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is uh, approximately I don't know, 63 miles east, uh, west, I'm sorry, of New Orleans, a little up, up, up the Mississippi river. And it's a vastly different environment than New Orleans. Um, as you and your listeners know, New Orleans is, is just a, um, a, a very diverse and melting pot of personalities, of energies, and um, a confluence of a lot of different ethnicities based on its historical background. And so, um, you know, New Orleans is unique, right? And I think that's, uh, we'll get into it maybe a little bit later, Absolutely. but it's, uh, there's this uniqueness that uh, folks often um, describes themselves in the recovery space or the, um, if they get into the, uh, uh, if they're struggling with a, a substance is, is often feel that it's, you know, it's very, very unique. So it's kind of apropos that, you know, I'm in this very unique, diverse city dealing with, with a diverse um, issue, 
so to speak. So would you consider um, the addiction battle, so to speak, unique in New Orleans more than in various other places? Well, I, I think it's, you know, this is still, you guys, you guys know this because you're, you're in the industry. It's still a very novel concept, right? We're still, we're, it's still novel in the scientific world that we're uh, acknowledging addiction as a disease. Uh, we're trying to formulate like what is the, uh, the best practice to combat this disease. We don't, we don't have a, um, a cure for it yet, um, but we're, we're getting closer to it. And we know we have better means of, of treating it and managing the disease. Um, and I could say that like in, in, in cities like New Orleans and, and probably cities that have uh, a really like diverse spectrum of folks and, and have us on the cutting edge of what's going on with technology um, and science, they may be more up to speed on what's what's happening. But there's still uh, like you guys are doing this podcast, there's still a lot of stigma. There's still tons of assumptions about what substance use is and addiction and the, the treatment for it. And, you know, again, I can go off on this, but there's a lot, there's a lot of folks that, that feel like this is, there's their, their, their way is the only way. And it's maybe not founded in some, in, in, in best practices or what the science is telling us today. Fair enough. So, so let's, so let's talk about you then. Let's talk about your experience. Yeah. Let's get it to me. So I was born and raised in Baton Rouge. I um, have been in New Orleans for about six years now. And um, what got me here is um, part of my journey um, in my own personal recovery. So I d- identify as a person in recovery. Um, I How many years are you? Yes, yeah, so I'm a little over 13 years wow. in recovery. So um, I went to treatment when I was, I went to treatment twice. I went to treatment when I was 18. I also went to treatment when I was 21. Um, so you you were basically were struggling with addiction during your high school yeah, years. Yeah, well, I wouldn't correct? I wouldn't tell you I was struggling with addiction. You know that those weren't the those weren't the words that I would would use, and um, <laughs> but maybe some other people would. Um, I, basically, I uh, was getting into some trouble because of some of the lifestyle choices um, mm-hmm. I was making around alcohol and, and other substances. My trajectory was not in the greatest place. And um, because of some of my choices, I started make, uh, having some consequences like most people do. Right. That's correct. Um, and so based on some of those consequences, uh, they were there were some legal ramifications behind those sign, <laughs> those consequences. And, and it was kind of like an option. It was like, Jacob, hey, you can go do this treatment. You can get some help because we feel like you have a, a problem with substances or your relationship with substances is impeding your progress. Um, or, or you could go to prison, or you can go to jail. So and that was, and that know, was at and that was at eighteen. That was step that was one at eighteen. At 18. Yeah. That was at eighteen. So I mean, I could give you all kinds of stories bef- that lead up to that, but I mean, that is the crux of it, right? I, 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 I come from um, a good family, uh, st- um, strong values. I, I had good uh, educational background. Um, I didn't have any kind of major significant traumas happen to me. My parents did divorce, but. Um, you know, uh, they were um, still supportive of us, of me and my brother um, in our formative um, years and relationships. I, I played sports. I had tons of friends, um, you know, seemingly normal uh, of childhood with no major ruptures. Um, I fell into a lifestyle of using substance, um, just like a, a lot of young kids do, uh, just from exposure and just from, you know, I it was something to, to be cool. It's something to, to you go against the grain, right? You know, I've always been someone that is, has, has difficulty with boundaries and rules. You tell me I'm going to have uh, that. I can't do this. I'm going to show you that I can do it. Right. And so you're a superhero. Um, 
Yeah, exactly. And, Superhero and, and mentality. As a, as, a, as a child, you know, right. I, you know, I have no, my prefrontal cortex is not, is not developed enough to understand the consequences and my insight and judgment is, is really impaired. And then you, and then you start in, putting substances in there that, 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 that change some of the brain chemistry as well. It's, you know, you can't tell me anything. So even at that age of 18, when, um, you know, the powers that be told me that I needed to do something different and I had a problem, I was resistant to that idea. So what happened? So you go to treatment at 18? Yeah. So I go to treatment at 18. And then, um, and then I what? Get, I, get, I get out of some trouble. Um, and probably about six months later, I go back to doing some of the same behaviors, right? Okay. I, well, are I, you I in college ex- now? Are you, are you in high, are you finished high school? Have you graduated? Yeah. So I graduated when I was 17 and I um, entered the state university uh, at 18. I, it's been, LSU? At LSU, that's right. So you bleed tigers. Yeah, yeah, go tigers, man. You know, so I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I know I like the freedoms of doing what I want whenever I wanted without being under the auspice of my uh, family's uh, rules. Without telling and, people, without people telling you what to do. Yeah, you like figuring it out. Yeah. So what happened is I failed out of college, and that was due to my relationship with with substances. Is that I prioritized that before my academic um, endeavors. And, um, yeah, so went to treatment, got out of trouble for a little while, decided to go back to the same behaviors that I was doing. Um, and, 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 you know, with to your listeners that deal with, uh, legal issues or, or, or know about legal issues, easy to get in the system, hard to get yeah, out. Right. System, so right. even though I, my, my family is well-resourced and, um, you know, we had different means in which to, uh, thankfully kind of mitigate some of some of that is that it, it I kept um, I kept messing up I couldn't I was failing drug tests Shlomo I was like like you know even all I had to do was pass some drug tests and all these legal stuff would go away failed the drug test I got one last shot when I was 21 and uh, the judge said hey you know we're gonna you know you're gonna have to have some consequences for for this stuff because you're not you're not changing your behavior um, and at that point, that's when I entered a, a long-term um, residential male treatment uh, facility uh, that was for younger guys. So there's elements here of youth. There's elements here of 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 not being fully developed to understand, you know, consequences. Yeah. Elements of being smarter than the system. Like you got this elements of denial, all kinds of things sure. that we talk about all the time in the in the field. Seems Absolutely. like it seems like you. Uh, oh, I lived it. I lived it, and I still have a little bit of that denial and resistance. I, I'm better at managing it a little bit now. So, um, so fast forward again back to to, to, to 21, 21, right? And what changed? What did? What was different for me? Not much, other than the experience of. First of all, I was in a longer term program. This program was like a six month program, step down program. So. For me personally, I needed that, and I'm an advocate of long-term treatment. I know you guys at Avenues very much um, so. support support long-term treatment. The environment that I was in in the treatment facility was was profoundly the reason that um, I like stuck around and maybe started to listen and hear some of the message that um, the facilities like yourself disseminate to their patients is that, you know, maybe you don't know everything about what's going on with you. Maybe there is another way to, to, to kind of approach this situation. Um, I just wanted, I wanted to get out of trouble. And then maybe there's a lifestyle that you can embody that um, um, will give you some different results. And so it was through that time and meeting some other 
uh, some peers, I would say, some folks that were tw- in my age range, kind of similar to my background, um, you know, educated from, um, from, from similar family structures and maybe even some, some more affluent folks. Let me just jump in here for a second. Did you, yeah. Was there a moment for you? Was there a person for you? No, was there a moment no, or was it just, no, it was just an evolution? I didn't, ha- I didn't have any kind of aha right. moment no or epiphanies. wasn't any kind of, I wish I could tell you like a beautiful story of where I was sitting on the banks of the Mississippi and I, I saw the <laughs> ship come by. You know, sometimes was, the most beautiful yeah, story you know, is just the hard work that just builds yeah, up every day, you was, know, the water on the rock. Like, time and consistency and i that so the insight which i'm about to get to to talk about is like where did that when did that insight come in and say hey this is this is a reality and the way that you're living and acting right now is a is a a beautiful thing and it's it's and it it's the sole reason why you're having all these positive things happen in your life so you know i look forward to the day i was still on probation when i you know when i was 21 i was like well i'm gonna do this recovery thing i'm gonna you know go through the motions i was going to aa meetings at the time i had a, a sponsor i was doing all the things that the treatment center asked me to do um and i thought well i will get through this and because this is helping me i acknowledge that like i'm not you know i'm not failing drug tests anymore i'm i'm, I'm not getting in trouble i'm not getting arrested anymore i'm going to continue to do this but when i get done with all of this uh, legal stuff i'm gonna you know i think i can kind of handle a little bit you know i can i can drink a little bit i might be able to to to, to do some other things but you know it it um you know what, what ended up happening is as that time went by and I continued to do the steps of, of recovery and like the actionable pieces that we ask people to do um, when, when it comes to actually like having some, have some change, I started, my life started getting better. My, uh, my relationships with my family and my friends, I had more of a, a direction and an idea of what I wanted to do um, and where I wanted to go in terms of like my career um, I was, uh, just overall healthier. And I think I had that, I had that insight because I can remember finishing this probation and, and, and being like, well, it's just another day. It's great that I'm done with this, but I'm going to, at that point, I was already on my path towards, on the path. um, towards working in the addiction, uh, treatment world. And that's, that's another big piece that's kept me, kept me connected. If I'm, if I'm completely honest about it. That's, that's very, that's a very interesting, you know, a lot of times we talk about in the industry, the industry if you look around the industry, the industry is so staffed, um, lo- all the facilities, you go through all the facilities, so many people have their own stories of recovery, um, right. you know, and a lot of times people will talk about it in the sense of they want to give back, um, you know, like they, they feel like this is what set them on their path and, Absolutely. and it's very meaningful to give back. But there's another element here, which I think you're alluding to here now is as well is that it keeps you connected. Um, in terms of your own, if you're of your own health and you, you know, your own, yeah. in your own recovery. But yeah, like, so like what, what, what honestly happened when I was 20, 21, uh, the treatment center called me and was like, Hey, do you want to come volunteer or come work at the, at the facility is like a behavioral health tech. And I was like, sure, I'll do that. I did that. I enjoyed, like you said, I really enjoyed the ability of being able to give back because I felt like this, this place or this concept had been so helpful to me. So like, I wanted to be able to share that with other people. And that's really what got my, got my foot in, foot in the door. There's also a realization that this, this really works. Like this worked for me. This I'm doing, I'm doing something that really works. There was, I I was walking results of like, Hey, listen, I'm not in jail anymore. 
I'm um, going to school. I, you know, have, uh, I can look people in the eye and have a, a clear conversation with folks, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, I'm more confident in, in, in my own um, being and just, and, and, and being in front of people. So, you know, that led to um, at 22, getting um, my first addiction credential, uh, which is a, in Louisiana, was a CIT, a counselor in training. Um, and I had, um, you know, wonderful mentors um, and opportunities as I look back on it now that like I, I were very, very invaluable. I got to sit in with um, like one of my mentors holds the same credentials that I have right now. And I, I didn't say that in the in the beginning of our podcast. I didn't want to, you know, right. I, I think, oh, I'm this I'm this professional. But, you know, I, I hold three different licenses. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I'm a licensed addictions counselor. I'm a certified clinical supervisor. Say it loud and say it proud, you know, Jacob. There we go. Yeah, but, you know, that. I'm more than that. I'm more than that stuff, too. I also hold my... Um, just, just show uh, us the uh, list. I see a ton I have of- my Coast Guard license. <laughs> cap- I'm a licensed captain as well because I'm obsession. I have this obsession of fishing. So you oh, know, cool. Swimble, you get you get down here to uh to New Orleans, Louisiana. We'll take you out on the boat. We'll show you a good time. Fishing, what's your you What's know? your biggest so, catch? Biggest catch? I caught a 165 pound yellowfin tuna out of Venice. Wow. A couple years ago in October, they're catching big fish right now. We got a trip scheduled uh, in a couple of weeks. Hopefully, they're still there. It'd be nice, nice to catch a 200 pound yellowfin. Did you tuna. Did you eat it or you threw wonderful. it back in? Absolutely, you ate it. absolutely. We eat the tuna. We eat the tuna. Wow. You know, fresh tuna. Who, yeah, I love who, fishing who too. Love that. So, you know, that's, um, that's a, another subject, but the, uh, um, that's a, a good subject though. We'll it's do, a great subject. We'll do it I on our fishing got, podcast. Yeah. I got, <laughs> I got introduced to that through like recovery. So like recovery right. opened up these, all these different passions. I tell people all the time when they're getting into this, you got to get passionate about something that, you know, if you, I put so much energy into my ability to, con- to continue, um, you know, doing nefarious things and getting away with stuff and, and lying and cheating or, you know, just, uh, you, you know, using substances or alcohol. I put energy into that. And you got to be able to put some energy into some people get really obsessed about their personal recovery and and, and going to meetings and, and um, you know, really immis- like immersing themselves in a 12 step culture or um, another um, pathway to recovery. But I think it's also important to, to and you see a lot of people get obsessive about um, their diet and the, and their their physical physical like right. being. Um, some get more get religious. Some some get start picking up some ho- different hobbies. For me, fishing was great. I could get I could I could I could plan the trip. I right. um, I was waking up super early on a right. Saturday morning. So it's, about self, it's, about it's about it's about self development. It's about self development. We got to find out who we are, right? So exactly. that that um, I've been exposed to that earlier in life, but. Um, the same mentor that I had that I got the, um, that has the credentials that I have now that I got to, um, really sit with and be with in psychotherapy, uh, group. Um, he also was a big fisherman and, you know, he, as I'm talking about it now, it really like crystallized that this guy had a lot of, he had a lot of influence on me and, um, um, you know, and he did it in a very like passive kind of way. It was very invitational, um, in terms of like, Hey, this is the way um, my life is. And it seemed pretty happy and was had a lot of cool stuff going on. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, I never thought I wanted to be like a therapist growing up and I, going to school, I was somewhat of the minority in classes as, um, you know, a, a, a heterosexual white male um, in the counseling um, demographics in school, at least like, you know, where we are now is, 
I was my, it was, it was mostly female identities in that, in that space, you know? So like, it, it, you know, this was very, very different, you know, Interesting. Uh, when I talked, when I talked to, to a lot of manly men about what I do, or we talk about count like therapy, most of the time they say, what do you mean? Physical therapy? You're like, you're a physical therapist, <laughs> you know? I'm like, yeah, physical therapy. Right. Yeah. So like, it's, you know, this, it's still a new construct in our culture here to start to, to acknowledge that talk therapy, going to treatment, asking for help. That is a, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. And everybody's fallible. Everybody needs to, you know, if you can in, in, admit some mistakes and do something different behind it. Wow. What a gift that you're giving to yourself and to, um, you know, your family members, um, and anybody else that's, uh, that's around you. So awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of that background. It gives a little bit, you know, idea of where all this passion is coming from. So I appreciate that. Um, yeah. let's talk about, let's talk about college. Cause you know, you know, recently we've, we've been exploring this a lot at avenues recovery about this space. You know, first of all, there's, there's, there are aspects of prevention. There are aspects of people going into a new experience and sure. being kind of overwhelmed and, and also having the Liberty. They're not, they're not at mom's house. There's, you know, yep. there's no, there's no curfew. Nobody's looking after them. They have that aspect. And there's also, there's fear, there's pressure, there's keeping up academically. There's so many different things that are going on that are being thrown at a kid who's leaving home for the first time. Absolutely. There, there's also an interesting component. I feel, uh, you know, we've done, we've done some research on our end in, in terms of colleges uh, and students and what they're, what they're exper experimenting with, what they're busy with, what they're doing in terms of substance abuse. You know, right. a lot of times the culture of college you know, is, is, is closely, um, perceived as, you know, as a drinking culture, a hookup mm -hmm. culture, a lot of that yep. party atmosphere, a lot of like that stuff that's going on. Um, and that's obviously stuff that has to be addressed. And there's, there's a huge element of alcohol on college campuses and how to do that responsibly, you know, is obviously a big part of, of education in terms of, of addiction. There's also other stuff. There's also, this is, and I feel, I feel like this is a very interesting component. There's a, uh, an academic pull, um, you know, there's, there's like Adderall, like those mm -hmm. kinds of drugs that help kids stay focused. So kids that are not even looking to party, quite the contrary, they're looking to succeed. They need to keep Correct. up with their grades. They need to make it. Um, they need to be at the top of the class. They're, they're driven. They're, they're, they're ambitious. Moving, they're moving so fast, right? You know, and it's all about, there's all kinds of productivity happening and we have some really bright minds and anybody, anybody that takes an amphetamine, doesn't matter if you're prescribed, if you're diagnosed with ADHD or ADD, anybody's going to perform better initially right. with right. an amphetamine. I mean, we're talking about Adderall statistically. We're talking about Adderall being prescribed uh, over 70% more than from 10 years ago. I mean, this is all, this is on the books. It's big, I mean, it's big stuff, yeah. man. Where is that coming from? I don't know. Is that big pharma? Is that... Uh, you know, right. is it just like we we as a society and a culture have accepted um, that, you know, you could take this and perform better? I think this is like a really curious piece. Like if you get in front of yeah. a kid, a lot of times, you know, drug drug consumption is related to kids that are quote unquote bad kids or, you know, kids that are looking. And here we're talking about kids that are really driven. They're really ambitious. Like this is this is the way I'm keeping up. This is I need this. I need to do this. I'm performing better. And to get in front of a kid and tell him you're going to be okay, you're going to right. be successful, give you alternative measures, um, you know, of, uh, to keep up and not, and not to avail yourself of these kinds of drugs, um, which you're going to eventually get addicted to and eventually will just drag you down a, a terrible, terrible rabbit hole. So when you're right. sitting in front of a kid, Jacob, and you're telling, and he's 
getting involved in Adderall or you see, you know, there's that type of element. Like, what are you telling him? He's like desperate. I need to stay. I need to stay. I need to stay afloat here. I'm, I'm drowning it's, in terms of academic yeah. achievement. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough one right there, Shlomo. It really is because you don't want to, you know, just say no. Don't do that. Does that work? You know, when you say no, you can't do that. You know, that's the, the people are smart. People are intuitive. People understand, and people, you know, make choices that um, they believe really that they need. Right. So again, a lot of times the argument is like, I am, I have this diagnosis. My physician pre- prescribes it to me. I need it to be able to perform. When I don't take it, I can't perform. And particularly once you get, you know, what, once you have a, a, um, a certain level of amphetamine in your, in your body, um, the brain is definitely, it, there's, a, there's a bounce back experience. And so like, yes, if you did stop taking it, you would, you, it'd be pre- pretty difficult to be able to process. So I, obviously, I just want to jump in here and make one disclaimer that obviously, you know, there's there is sometimes medical needs uh, for sure. somebody to oh, take those drugs. Absolutely, and, and yeah, there's obviously yeah, you know we're, we're we're not advocating that like take this off the shelves. Right. No. Like where where does it come to where it becomes like this is going to be harmful for myself? Right. Right. A, a college kid needs he needs treatment. He's addicted. He's he's dependent. He needs mm-hmm. to go to treatment. Right. How do we get him into treatment? And how do we? How do we um, assuage well, his fears and his family's fears of the yeah. losses that they're going to take? Are they going to take losses? Are they not going to take losses? You right. Know, how do we tell a kid, look, you need treatment. You're not going to lose anything. You're not going to lose your place. What's a, a university's responsibility in responding to a, to a student that needs treatment? How do you feel about that? Well, I think um, that's a great question, Shlomo. And I think we are... Um, doing much better. Um, I could say here at Tulane, I could say just um, overall in the college space of acknowledging that and wanting people to get some help and encouraging and doing some intervention there. So um, oftentimes in the university setting, they, again, it starts with consequences, right? That's what happens. They get in trouble. There's some sort of behavioral issue on campus and then the university may intervene and explore and say, okay, they take a look at the situation, what's going on, um, and then pull the family in and say, hey, listen, you know, um, what's the, your, your son, daughter, whoever is, um, is having some issues, and these are our recommendations. So, what's some the most common response from the family? You know, it, it, yeah, that that varies. I could ask you the same thing, right? Yes. Listen, when you when you're, at, you're like you're you're at the first step. You're you're at the college step before the kid comes to treatment, and a parents like, no, my son, my my son needs to graduate. They're like, well, you know, I don't believe you, right? Or like, you know, that there may be some denial there as well, and so that's where like um, having some professionals that can objectively um, make an assessment of the situation and take the collateral information and then make a an a, like a, a recommendation I think is really really important and so we do that a little bit at Tulane and we're expanding that in some ways if, if this college in some ways identifies that um, maybe a person is ha- is struggling with with something there's something there um, we can we can we have some uh, mechanisms in place internally to make some a clinical assessment of somebody but we also um, defer to outside organizations um, that are experts in this field, like um, 
um, like your organization, Shrolomo, like like we would say, hey, we want you to go get an assessment done and follow the recommendations. So what's the response to a student or a family that says, um, okay, is what's going to be? He's going to go to he's going to go to treatment. Is he losing his place in school? Is there going to be a punitive response? Um, now, basically, I'm coming I'm coming clean as an addict. Yeah, that's basic. That's different at each university, right? You know, and I think we're talking about culture of the university, maybe change their administration, maybe a little bit different. Um, you, uh, I'm, I am, again, you know, um, I feel very thankful um, and privileged to work for um, a university like Tulane that honors um, recovery and that honors the understanding of a substance use disorder and that it, it is an illness and that it needs to be treated and to not hold people um, and have punitive action um, for folks that are willing to do something about it, right? right? So sometimes we need some punitive action, otherwise we're never gonna make any changes, but right. to be strictly just, you know, hey, you, you violated our code of conduct, we're gonna kick you out, boom. You know, right. it's not that's not the stance of the university. So creating course, creating a, 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 a atmosphere where it's safe for the student to come to come to you and say, sure, I need help. Sure. But I don't want to lose my reputation. I don't want to lose my place in school. I want to be something, I, I, you know, making it making it. I want to get help. Yeah. Help us. Yeah, exactly. And and we you know, I think our our um, our administration and the folks that work in those spaces are well versed in some of that languaging. That's important. So educating about the the, the individuals because you and I can talk about it. And I can speak recovery language and all the words really qu- clearly because I've been in an addiction treatment industry for over ten years. But there's a lot of folks that um, addiction impacts everybody, and especially in a university system, we're dealing with students. We need to have some knowledge base of it, right? Um, and, and understand like what we don't know. And defer to the folks that do know what's going on. And this is where I think there's such a big place for collaboration between experts in the recovery field, Correct. you know, like Avenues Recovery Center, like an organization like ours. That we know the back end of addiction. We know how to treat addiction, and then we talk to and with people that have tremendous expertise in students and how Correct. they work, like people like yourself that are working in the colleges. And I think. That if we could come together, if we could find a way, you know, to come together to make collaborations, this is your area of expertise. This is our area of expertise, yeah. and we have this shared goal of making kids have the best possible out- outcomes and the best, you know, and, and a real shot at sustained recovery. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it, we're starting to see it. There's other universities that have some of these partnerships with um, uh, treatment facilities, and some universities that are actually beginning to do some of the. Because, you know, some universities have the capacity to do at least some level of treatment in-house because we there right. are uh, cl- clinicians and people who have expertise in the um, addiction field um, on campus that maybe that's a, a lower level intervention. Obviously, the goal of the university is to help these students thrive and um, graduate and, and matriculate through the system. Um and there, if you pull, if you really pull the numbers across um, across the nation about people who are taking medical withdrawals or who are failing out, and where what is the the re- rationale behind that? And um, oftentimes it's it's due to mental health or substance use issues. And right. so so there's been this shift of like, okay, the university sees that right? That, um, essentially, we are a business in some ways, and we want to keep people here and, 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 and do well. And, and, and that, that's a mutual beneficial process. So, you know, can we help um, intervene, you know, with these right. folks 
get them to eat, whether we do something in-house with them or we say, hey, we're going to help you with your academic prowess and we're going to help you do a withdrawal. We're going to help you do um, like, you know, sort everything out here, let you get some help that you need, whatever that help is, whether it be going to treatment, whether it be a, a long-term or IOP or residential program, we're going to get you into that space. And then we're going to get you back to us because it's, and also give you the support because that's the big thing. And that's where I come in too. I do a lot of different things along the addiction um, recovery spectrum on campus. But when you come back to campus and you are a person in recovery or, you know, we have some supports already on campus for you. In so you place. don't have to create that all by yourself because Incredible. that is, that is, that's still a novel concept. Uh, we're talking about collegiate recovery is, has been around since uh, like the late um, 1970s. It's been the last like five to eight years that it's really blown up. Um, and there's more, it's, and, 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 and more universities. Everyone's, are everyone's bringing their resources to beer. Right. There, right. Re, there's, there's a national organization called um, ARHE, the Associates in Recovery and Higher Education. It's only about 10 years old. It's still very formative in its process, but they, you know, they're doing, it's, they're doing a, a decent job at, at, at being able to be collaborative in this space. And there's still room for, you know, for creativity and for resourceful minds to continue to make it develop sure. and grow. Sure. And so I get excited talking about it because there's so many, we can like see. we're talking, we're, we're talking, yeah, jumping we're in talking, your seat. Yeah. We're, um, I know we're, we're probably, you know, yeah, I told you I'd take you off my, all your time meter, but you know, there's, <laughs> we're talking about treatment right now and getting folks into treatment, but there's this, like, what about the, the academic prowess around addiction medicine and treatment? What right. about the folks, like the people studying it in these universities and the science behind it to help contribute to the help and the work that um, right. facilities like yourself are doing, the you know, trickle, the trickle down these, effect. These, right. the we're we're um, we're a research institution here at, at, at Tulane, and um, we in the in the past year we just um, started our first, and we are a medical school as well, um, and we started an addiction medicine fellowship so that you can have a rotation as a psychiatrist. You can it's called addiction medicine, right. and that is that's that's crazy. That's new stuff, right? You know, right. We, to use those words in the science community, if you kind of get all the pieces. School, if you get all the pieces rotating and working together, we can make a real difference. Absolutely. Uh, Jacob, let me ask you this. What is what would your elevator speech, your two minute response, if somebody would ask you, how can I help? I'm just a regular guy. I already have a regular job. I sit in an office. <clears throat> I know mm-hmm. some kids. Specifically, we're talking about college age kids. What can I do to be an inspiration? What can I do to be a support? There's drug addiction all over, all around us. What would you tell a guy in the street? I want to help. Sure. I think the biggest thing and it's why I'm excited about talking about this right now is is we're is having the conversation, having like talking about it, like having like bringing it up in dialogue with folks that may not understand or we can have this conversation because we're in the industry together. But to be able to start talking about it, that's how we really like um, stop the stigmatization around it. Jacob. Jacob Goldberg from Tulane University. I want to thank you, first of all, for your hey, passion because I'm fired up. I'm fired up about treating addiction when I talk to you. Um, you've been amazing. Thank you for your graciousness, for your help. Everybody, this was Jacob Goldberg at Tulane University, Recovery Community hey, Manager. Yeah, let me let me do a little plug real quick, Shlomo, before you end it too. So if anybody wants to get in touch with me, um, I'm pretty it's pretty easy. Um, you can and Google my name and Tulane, my contact number comes up. Um, my direct number, email me, text me, all your followers, you know, if you have any ideas, 
we're um, we're excited. And Shlomo, you've inspired me. I think we're going to be starting a, a podcast as well. Oh, nice! Recovery. I'm waiting for and, I'm waiting for uh, for an invite. Yeah, I'll need some <laughs> I'll need some direction because, like you said, I'm all over the place. I need to step back and, and, and just be able to engage. And appreciate you inviting me to be here um, again. Uh, collegiate recovery and recovery at Tulane. Um, and recovery in general, happy to, to help assist any way I can. It's, it's my passion, obviously, and, and where, where um, I will be. There you have it. Jacob Goldberg from Tulane University. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Rank, rate, and subscribe. Rubber bands, conversations about the push and pull of addiction. Listen to our podcast. Listen for future episodes. And any feedback would be greatly welcome. Thank you again, Jacob. And this has been another episode of Rubber Bands. Rubber bands.